and welcome to another episode of Tomorrow Will Be Great. I am Elise. And I'm Julia. And today we are interviewing Julia, <laughs> which is really exciting because we've interviewed some other fabulous people and we're just sitting here and I was like, we should interview you because some people probably don't know the origin story. So today we will be getting into the origin of Ren and everything it is and it was and it will be. My least favorite thing, talking about myself. And now you're going to do it. On a podcast. Yay! <laughs> this was a spur of the moment Elisa decision because we had a, a list going down. We have like 10 things. We're always looking for new ideas if you haven't listened before to our spiel, but if you want to send us an idea, please do. We'll add it to our list. So, how did Ren come about? What were you doing at the time? What was happening? All that good stuff. A lot of things were happening. <laughs> I was doing a few different things. I had just finished college. I went to the museum school in Boston and I had done mainly painting there, icon painting specifically with gold leaf and egg tempera, but I was also interested in fashion. I was working at a small store at the time all throughout college on the weekends called Nomad between Harvard and Porter Square. It's moved since then, I think, but I had a really fun time working there. Um, there were some really cool brands there at the time that I really liked. I really liked Gary Graham and I forget. There was just like really cool jewelry. It was fun. So that was one thing I had going on that was kind of introducing me a little more to the retail world. And then at the same time I was sewing and I started sewing clothing and leather bags and I was living at a Quaker co-op at the time on Beacon Hill, which if you know Boston, you're like, wait, what? There's a Quaker co-op on Beacon Hill? I'm not Quaker, I'm not religious, um, but I was living with 20 other people at the time, and I decided that I needed to buy an industrial sewing machine, which I kept in the library of the Quaker house, which everyone's probably thinking, That's wait, what does she calm. mean? The library, there was, it, it hmm. I'll step back for a second. So the place I lived was really cool, really interesting. I think I learned so much living there. It was part meeting house, so there would be Sunday meeting there. And then above that, it's this old house, and there was a whole townhouse that was a whole floor was a library. So when I say in the library, I literally mean like an old-fashioned, really cool Harry Potter kind of library. So... Not I, noisy at all. Not noisy at all <laughs> to put the industrial sewing machine in the library. And I, I think I like might have annoyed a few people. And I realized I put it there thinking originally I was going to get it up to my bedroom there. But then it was really hard to get it up the stairs. So then I was like, I guess I'll just They're leave really it in the library. Heavy. They're very heavy, these sewing yeah. machines. Anyway, this is probably more information than anyone wants. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so anyway, I started sewing these bags and selling them at the time on Etsy. So that was the very start of the business. And then I ended up moving out of there eventually and I took my little business with me. And at the time, I think up until I moved out, I was still working at Nomad pretty much full time by that point. Um, and then once I moved out, I had a studio out of my house, sewing things, selling them on Etsy, eventually selling them on the website. But again, for years, it was just me sewing things. And by, of a, by myself for a very long time. And eventually I moved out of my house. I got a studio that I shared with someone for a while. And then eventually I needed more space. So I took over the whole studio. So over time, it went from me selling the own stuff, my own stuff that I made, me working with 
a small factory to make the leather goods in Massachusetts to me kind of just switching to entirely carrying other brands. So it was a very long and winding path that bounced around a lot. So I guess my first question is, how did you decide that you wanted to start sewing leather bags? Because it doesn't seem like an obvious choice to me, at least. No, it wasn't an obvious choice. I'm trying to think. I'm not really sure what I can remember. There was a place in West Springfield, which I my parents lived in Springfield, Mass. For a long time so there was this place called Osgood Textiles and I would go in there and they'd have really cool fabrics maybe some people from Western Mass know about this I think it's changed I don't think you can go in the whole place as much as you used to but they also had this whole leather section and in retrospect their leather was pretty affordable now that I think about it but at the time I remember going through their leather and thinking whoa this is a really cool material it would be neat to make some bags out of it so I was like, oh my God, I'm going to spend $50 on <laughs> like a quarter of a leather hide, which isn't that much material. No. And I was like, I guess I'll just go for it. So that was really the starting point. That's where I bought my first leather. That's where you got the inspiration. Mm-hmm. Yes. Thanks At to Osgoods. Osgoods. Yeah. So I think they still exist. If you're near there, you should go. Check it out. Mm-hmm. See what's up. So did your art education play a role in your... <laughs> As someone else with a BFA... I'm laughing. I'm very <laughs> curious. <laughs> I think overall, no. Mm-hmm. But the school that I went to did kind of set me on this path of like, you have to be in charge of yourself and your time. Mm-hmm. Because... If you know the museum school, you know it's a very unstructured program. I'm not sure I would recommend it to anyone. I think it changed after I left. I think the one thing it did was I did get very structured, especially by my senior year where they let us set up our own little studio in part of the school. So it was like, you need to get there on time. You didn't make sure you have everything ready for your Mm -hmm. senior project. So that kind of set self, the self-guiding aspect maybe Mm -hmm. started me like in order to start having my own business. I think that is potentially related Mm -hmm. but other than that I don't feel like any technique that I learned there was really helpful you mean egg tempera does not come into play when sewing leather tote bags I mean (laughs) but now that I think about the photography of Mm -hmm. what we do now at the shop you and I if we do still life related things I feel like that's related to my painting class in a weird way composition and light yeah how did you feel confident in starting leather good sewing because I think for me, I'm always very nervous to cut into expensive fabric and just starting, I think starting something new always feels very intimidating. So was it just kind of... I was really scared to cut into the material because I knew once you cut, there's not like skipping a half yard. Yeah. You kind of like... So You're all in. Through the whole time, it was always cutting was the most annoying thing, mm-hmm. which they have solutions to that. There's laser cutters, there's dyes, but like obviously you're sewing at home, you don't have all of that. So I ended up using a rotary cutter eventually, super hard still. I would take a ruler and use the rotary cutter along the ruler. Looks like a pizza cutter. And I did cut myself once with that and I have a scar and <laughs> stitches to show for it on my pointer finger. Um, so it's just kind of just go, you just kind of went all in. Yeah, I just kind of went all in. I killed four or five normal home sewing machines mm-hmm. before I bought the right machine, which that was, this it. is an industrial walking foot jukey machine mm-hmm. for the leather. Big difference. I remember yeah. the first one I bought off of Craigslist. Actually, wait a second. No, the first machine I bought was actually the one that we still have here and I thought I could sew leather on that but then eventually I found out that's still not good enough because that's really just for clothing yeah it still worked kind of well for thinner leather 
but then but I in the long it, run yeah so then I went and bought one for eight hundred dollars at this place in Fall River Massachusetts mm-hmm. wait yeah Wait, is Fall River in Rhode Island? Now, I'm seeing, now I've moved away from New England. I can't remember. <laughs> Somewhere. Did you turn to like YouTube or books or you just kind of there was no it? There was no YouTube. There was no... I think there might have been. What they call... I think there actually might have been YouTube. Well, no, there literally what it was made to... You, what am I calling it? <laughs> there, there, people weren't sharing. Tutorial. There weren't tutorials yet. Uh-huh. This was too early for knowledge sharing like yeah. the way there is now you didn't know where to get a sewing machine you couldn't figure out mm-hmm. where to get leather unless you were already in the industry so the things that exist now for resources online and all the making culture that mm-hmm. exists now that did not exist yeah in 2008 i think so you didn't check any books out of the library i might have tried to find books in the library but it was mainly more about tooling leather yeah i was gonna say i feel like um, as someone is, who spent a long time in the craft section of the, yeah. I don't know if I've ever seen, yeah, I've seen like tooling leather and quilting and embroidery, but I feel like sewing leather and clothes kind of feels more, I don't know, not library friendly. material. Yeah, no, not library friendly. So don't know why that is. So I was a very much wing it and see what works mm-hmm. kind of thing. And one thing that comes into play a lot more that I didn't realize till much later is glue. Because to me, the problem was the leather stretches as you sew it. And then how do your pattern pieces fit together? Mm-hmm. And you can't pin it like you can yeah. cloth. So what do you do? And so I used a ton of binder clips and glue eventually. Yeah. But I didn't realize that glue and even tape to some extent are used to make things Professionally. a lot of the time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I only learned all that by working with the factory. Like I would get up at five or six in the morning to mm-hmm. drive out to Worcester. If you didn't have these resources, how did you find this factory, if you don't mind? I, that's a really good question. I, I think I just kept googling because that was more in later then. that was yeah. later that was like five or five years in or so uh-huh. and that's when i found them and i yeah. think i must have been just googling leather factory and places will advertise that they do private label that's what they yeah. call it like they might make their own stuff yeah and then sell additionally mm-hmm. and so was your main focus because i know you also did clothing mm-hmm. so was your main focus always the leather goods or did it maybe switch when it you got the factory or the leather goods because i never really put clothing into production mm-hmm. you just did with, small I, I tried to like find someone locally to sew things because i needed i just needed such limited quantities of mm-hmm. things like six of a dress or whatever yeah and um, factories and factories are. where i just wasn't there so it was always the leather was the main driver that was the of more the main focus yeah and then i would sew like three dresses and it was mm-hmm. always like really annoying because i'm like i can't just make one dress and put it online and yeah that's it although i mean now in hindsight maybe i would if i was like i'm gonna put a lot of time into yeah. this one dress and make I, it bespoke and very yeah so if i was to start over again i think i'd do something like that mm-hmm. um how did you know it was time to start moving over to working with a factory or was it just I just got really frustrated with the technical limitations of mm-hmm. what I could do at home on my own because with leather I think you can do so much with just sewing clothing on uh-huh. your own if you know what you're doing and just French seeming things you can do so much but the leather has so many limitations with particularly needing to thin the material mm-hmm. on the edges which is called skiving it I did have a skiver but I felt like it wasn't a good one even mm-hmm. though I paid a lot of money for yeah. it like two thousand dollars and Whoa. it still would tear up the leather and it wouldn't get like a smooth mm-hmm. incline it would just be kind of like bleep, and it would like drop down mm-hmm. kind of like a pothole lovely <laughs> <laughs> so it's just more that you needed access to like equipment and people yes. who had been doing yes. it for 50 and years and I had there was no like in Philly and maybe it's always been that 
that way. I feel like there's a lot of access to equipment or people know what mm-hmm. they're doing. But in Boston, there was no access to equipment. Mm-hmm. I think in New York or Philly, I would have been better. But there, there wasn't like, oh, if I could just get someone to laser cut my stuff, then I could sew mm-hmm. it. That wasn't yeah an option. Yeah. So it was more having the resources and kind of ha- finding a teacher yeah. kind of. I think I would have been so much better off starting in Philly if I was doing that. But mm-hmm. I think our, the factory would have been fine to work with. But anyway, if I wanted to actually do it myself. Yeah, because I guess in Philly, there's uh, people don't know, there's a lot of different um, like artist collective, artists, <laughs> artist collective buildings and things. And they're very neat and very supportive of each other. So how did you decide how you wanted to scale your business? Or was it kind of just you had to to keep paying rent or... Because I know you eventually started doing some trade shows. I think I eventually realized, like, I was getting really exhausted handling all of the production. Mm -hmm. And I saw early on that it just wasn't very profitable. And I think I ran into a few problems, which is that expensive bags are hard to market if you don't already have a story. Yeah, so if you're not Chanel, yes, it's hard to convince people to to spend spend that much money right away. There just wasn't a lot of profitability profitability and on top of that just working with the factory with the lower quantities of items for wholesale orders and delivery dates and things I just felt like we weren't I wasn't big enough Mm-hmm. that it was profitable or worth my energy. I found it very tiring after a time. So I thought, well, maybe I'll complement that with some that things. That is that what I was about to ask. How did you decide to start carrying thing. other brands in addition to your own line? Um, so it was just because you were tired. <laughs> it was kind of because I was tired. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just thought that like I could only make so much on my own, and I always feel like I wanted a more... like cohesive vision like a little Mm. bit of this a little bit of that a little bit of that and I didn't think I could get there on my own and I think things are best done in I don't know I don't like not putting your eggs all in one basket I guess so if I had a lot of baskets I could put lots of eggs in I think it would feel more rounded and fulfilling yeah maybe I can't put words into your mouth yeah having more brands there and at the time I was all selling online I did do this pop-up for like three months at one point Mm -hmm. near Charles Street um which was kind of the impetus for me realizing oh I think I like this part of the business a little bit more mm-hmm. um it just kind of scratched a niche that you didn't know you had and then you were like yeah hmm, maybe I'll do this like transfer my yeah. energy but I think that it always felt really intense because at the time when I'd write an order and I'd be sending off checks for deposit for designer mm-hmm. and I was like ah I'm writing a thousand dollar deposit check yeah. like and I won't get this stuff for six yeah. months. And in a way, you have to think about it like, well, is that any different than me buying materials or yeah. prepaying anything for the factory? Yeah. It's kind of the same just thing. It's just that, your like, brain. Yeah. It's yeah. retraining your brain to think about money in a slightly different mm-hmm. way. And also, obviously, now the business is a lot bigger than it was back then. Yeah. But I started like everything very slowly, very incrementally. Like, the first thing I think I carried was the hair barrettes, and we still mm-hmm. carry that, which is interesting because yeah. I think most things. From that early on, we don't care anymore. Yeah. But the hair barrettes, people, people still love them. like them. Yeah. Which is good. Yeah, they're great. They're classic. They're iconic. Lovely gift. You have hair. Fab. So, I mean, I know the answer to this, but how did you decide you wanted to open a shop slash your decision to move to Philadelphia? <clears throat> because I have insider knowledge that those are sort of vaguely related. My husband, Jesse, is from here. We always would come down and visit, and I always thought it was a much cooler city than Boston. I'm not trying to... Throw shade at Boston, but I'm not. I, I guess it's because I grew up there mm-hmm. and around the city my whole life, and I, I found that the city of Boston has a lot of intense zoning restrictions that I believe 
cause a lot of high demand. The schools and the universities don't help. They create a lot of housing demand, and it's just such an expensive city as a result. Very restrictive where there can be stores. The retail that's been there has been there for a long time. Newberry Street is one of the main areas. Harvard Square, there's stuff on Mass Ave. But it's very specific where there can be stores. And if they are, they're quite small. There's not a big retail footprint. And it, I just remember looking at the rent costs there and weighing what I could get and thinking, that doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. Like, I'd love a larger store where I could mm -hmm. have a lot of things and have my studio in it. And I just never, ever found a space while looking in Boston that fit that criteria. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Unfortunately. Between... Really liking Philly when we visited, having friends down here already through Jesse, who we now happen to live right across the street yeah. from. <laughs> We're very lucky that that worked out. It just seemed like a good move. Mm -hmm. And I was very much ready to get away from Boston, I think. Mm -hmm. Ready for a change. I just felt like it wasn't very artist friendly. Mm -hmm. I think it was... Very academic. Very, not just I don't academic, know, I've never been to Boston. Like, <laughs> no, but like if you were an artist, it was that you were a painter and uh -huh. you already had good connections and you were in a gallery uh -huh. and I don't know. It just has a very different like vibe world. to here where I feel like yeah. you can just like meet a lot of good pe mm -hmm. cool people who do woodworking, welding, yeah. ceramics, and yeah. I don't know. It just seems like it's open to other things yeah. in the arts than just you're a painter or a, maybe a sculptor. But it's funny because I also think now the store might do well there, mm -hmm. but like that's only because it's had the time to grow and to, become yeah. more well-established there. I don't think I could have grown it there. Yeah. But I think if it like moved there now yeah. or had not that we're location, we're not moving, this is not happening. <laughs> Um, but like if we had a location in Cambridge, I feel like yeah. it would do really well. But I could never have started in Cambridge, yeah. I think. So Philadelphia was a good place to nurture the business yes. to grow it. Yes. Yeah. Because I feel like we, I don't know, we've been reminiscing a lot because I think I was hired here like six months after you opened and just the store has just changed so much since then. And sometimes I, I assume people know that sometimes your phone will be like remember this picture because then it'll pull up a picture from five years ago and the store was so empty there was like three clothing racks one table and I had no money a bench. And, no money. and people were like this is such a vibe I was like oh my god it's so cool it's so intimidating in here and now we just have so much is stuff is it less intimidating that there's more stuff probably I think it's more think intimidating so. that there's I, less stuff because I feel like I always felt like I had a whisper in the old stores because it was so echoey because there was when you see the old, the old store, store as in the, like the, the same old store. the same store but like the old vibe back with like the three racks the one table bench in the front window but I remember someone gave me I don't know if this was advice or not but it's a good sentiment she's like it's so empty now but just wait five years like you're gonna miss this and I'm like <laughs> I kind of do she's like you're gonna get so much shit like yeah. you're gonna we fill have, this up we have a lot of furniture and sometimes it'd be nice if we could just store some of it for a bit to have a different feeling but so how did you decide or was it a decision to slow down the leather goods process slash stopping wholesaling i feel like it was all happening at the same time like the deciding to move to philadelphia mm -hmm. to open the store just realizing like the the profitability of that wasn't working and i think it's really hard to decide something isn't working because you're mm -hmm. like I want this to work so badly mm -hmm. and I think that was a very key defining point I think actually Jesse and I were having this discussion and we had like a fight about it not more he was trying to like help me yeah figure it out and I was just so soul crushing to me to Mr. know baby yeah that it wasn't yeah. working in its current version Form. of itself yeah and I think I cried a lot but I think it was like 
good that it happened because yeah. that wasn't working. But this is working. But it took a yeah it took since two thousand eight to get to this. Yeah. Point, so, I mean, because we're going to talk about this in another episode, I believe. But knowing about like your margins and production and stuff, and how when you then have to wholesale, and I'm I think we talked about this before, but your margins just disappear so quickly, and so. Now we're starting to slowly reintroduce some of the leather good products, like the very classic pieces, and not wholesaling them gives them much more manageable margins. And we can make them cost a bit less. Yeah. Well, actually, overall, the well, something's gone up. <laughs> we, everything has gone up in general, but I think yeah. everyone knows that because of inflation and yeah. shipping costs and everything is just more expensive. But um, if you don't have to worry about wholesaling, you can try to make the end product cost less for the customer. Yeah. Which course we want to give you the rest price we can give yeah you. and the the quality of the products is fab tabulous not just to plug it but not not i would say what are your biggest takeaways from ren's start to now what would you advise any other small makers who are trying to figure out what the future holds I hate to say this, and I don't mean this to sound negative at all, but if I had to do everything I've done from the start over again, I wouldn't do it. Because this mm-hmm. was just, like, way too much anguish. Over. <laughs> <laughs> but I have learned a lot. Yeah. I, I, especially the last past four years, I have learned a lot. I've learned a lot about, like, the business side of things mm-hmm. and negotiations of things. And I, I think I would redo that because I think that's very valuable. But so much of the stuff I did early on, I wish I had had more guidance mm-hmm. for how production works or anything. But the internet... Like a mentor or just the internet? Like, does it need a... It would might, it be no, a person it, it could or... have been the internet. It could mm-hmm. have been the internet. I think there were a lot of, like, home sewer blog type things and mm-hmm. people would put things online, but there wasn't really... I mean, it was still all so new that yeah. one person could run their business online. Mm-hmm. In some ways, it would be easier now, but in a lot of ways, it would be harder now. It's more I think saturated. It, it's very saturated, and also it's hard to... Yeah, the algorithm, I know we all talk about it, but on <laughs> Instagram, it's just changed everything so easily. It was so easy for people to follow you and find you mm-hmm. for the first like five years I did this mm-hmm. now it feels like it's very hard to yeah. have people find you so I don't know so I guess my answer is I would do the part with the store over mm-hmm. again I'm not sure I would do the part in the beginning over yeah. again nor so I guess in so the library so I don't think I would sew <laughs> in the library again even though it sounds peaceful now. yeah it sounds lovely <laughs> I just think a lot of people who end up in design have design mentors or family and I didn't have any of that so I just floundered for so long so if you have something Mm -hmm. or a person that can be your mentor Mm -hmm. for whatever industry you're in I think that's really helpful but yeah and I think maybe you will save that anguish period Mm -hmm. of like what am I doing yeah is this working is it not working is this a good idea or a bad idea? idea And yeah. I also remember I would try to meet with, I guess, it does the SBA have chapters? I think I met with someone in Boston a couple times. And I remember the numbers they would throw out to me, like, these should be your business goals or whatever. I was just like, wait, what? The, like, where are you pulling these huge yeah. numbers out of your butt? I feel like people don't maybe understand that it's, it's always been built on the money from the company. It's like there's been no loans mm-hmm. to build the company. And obviously that's not possible for everyone. But when you started, you had a job like so you were this was your side hustle for a while it was and Um, I don't when I think back I'm like how did I I guess I must have just been making around eight hundred dollars a month from Etsy or nine hundred or something or a thousand because I was like I was able to pay my rent and that's it yeah but like no savings 
or mm-hmm. and you just put the money back into the business. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I had these savings bonds I got like as a baby, but mm-hmm. I don't. I think I still have. I might have cashed a couple of those for yeah. a couple thousand dollars, but that's it. Yeah. Um. So it's just been like, put in, make a little money, yeah. put back in, make yeah. a little money, put back in, make a little money. Um. Yeah. yeah. And that's, I think, why most businesses don't survive. Like, I don't remember what the statistic is, but most businesses don't survive the first couple of years. And, you know, you've been around for a while. So I guess it's... And also, like, do you think that um, if you had gotten a loan, would it have changed the future of the company? Or would it have just slightly, like... good question. Kind of nudged it around? I wonder, would I have ended up manufacturing more in the beginning yeah and probably lost a lot of that money i mm-hmm. don't know because i think it's again going back to the eggs in the basket i think yeah. there is a benefit to having lots of brands that you carry because you have lots of baskets yeah but if you're just filling your own basket of ren items yeah that's much riskier yeah and especially because then you're also it's not just you because yeah. then you're working at the factory and then you but again if you started like a new brand from scratch now i think there's so many more avenues of like marketing it yeah than i had at the time dtc wasn't really no, it a, wasn't i don't think that was a i don't know for sure but it doesn't sound like a marketing concept yeah. that was i mean obviously that's what etsy is. i mean we all forget that's what the gap is that's what yeah. ll bean is that's yeah. what banana republic yeah. is that's all dtc and it's, it's trying just, to rebrand it now yeah it's like, oh everlane oh yeah like. <laughs> but in reality it's just it's just now on a smaller scale yeah and which so, is good it, yeah it, it's good when it's on a smaller scale yeah but but you still have to spend all this time marketing because it makes it sound like it's this magical just like the customers if you make it they shall come yeah it's like so i know this is now getting meandery because i should have written this question earlier but i didn't hey, but you i just out list. i know but i just thought of it if you could talk about how blogging impacted your business i think blogging really early on was just a wonderful source it was the beginning well it wasn't the beginning of the internet that was much earlier but yeah. it was the beginning of like the happy internet where yeah. you could meet really like-minded mm-hmm. people and i think there was a lot more joy back then yeah. and just we're happy we're all making things we're all sharing the things we make Mm -hmm. and the things we find and i think that that isn't all too different from like how anything open sources just the idea of sharing and disseminating Mm -hmm. of information and i think blog blogs were nice because they were a slow format medium so people could really think about a comment or an idea or anything that they had before posting it i think there was more thought Mm-hmm. and care put into everything so I, I i feel like and maybe other people who started around the same time have that feeling mm-hmm. too that there's a i don't want to say a genuineness but yeah. like a care yeah that went into things and it's more maybe like your that, friends like yeah if everyone seemed like your friend versus strange and maybe that's like not a good thing that you know you felt like you're friends with everyone whose blog you read yeah but it didn't feel like the now where you worry yeah. about like your parasocial because you know about every detail yeah. someone's life what they eat because, for breakfast yeah because i guess because they wouldn't share as much it'd be more like here's my outfit of the day like here is the dress i just sewed here is this cool set of photos i took with my friend because and you go for like you get one post a week maybe yeah. from someone maybe two a month or something yeah. and it just felt or people will be like, oh, I've been working on this post for a for while. For so long, yeah. Um, so I, and, and I also tried to meet a lot of these people in person, too. Mm-hmm. Now, now that actually, that's interesting. I think when I was doing that, I tried to meet people. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm like, oh, another blogger is in town yeah. from the West Coast or whatever. Let's yeah. meet up for coffee. And I, would, I met a lot of the yeah. people I became friends with, which 
it is really like special now that I think yeah. back on it because I don't feel like I do that now. I feel like it's less likely that I'm gonna like I met the person from Instagram, yeah. even though like there are a few people I would like to meet and maybe will. But like it, it felt like it was different back then. Yeah, I mean, I guess some people come in the store and I'm like, whoa, oh, yeah. I know who you are, and. I hate to say this, normally I won't say anything because it feels creepy to be like, I know who you are from Instagram. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. Another fun fact is that Julia was actually featured on one of the blogs that I used to read all the time, Design Love Fest. Oh, I forgot and, about that. And I think it's really funny to think that I could have, while I was in like high school, I could have read that blog post and been like, oh, look at that, that's cool. And then eventually, or Rhodes Converge Act, because I, I was a bit later to reading, like, I, I think I was more part of like the more slightly more polished blog thing. Like more people would have a designer like work on their blog versus the blog spot. Oh yeah, like blogger or blog spot. Yeah. You mean where someone's like I had the website done like, to be a blog. Okay. Yeah, like I think I think I started um, reading blogs more when they started to become people's like full time jobs. Like cup of Joe. Yeah. Though hers was always kind of like it's more like an blogger journal. Yeah. yeah. But it's like a blog journal but I think that's funny that you were featured on one of the blog posts because <laughs> if you google Ren and then do some really really deep diving you will you will find it yeah I feel like I miss I kind of miss that world though I, I can't say that I read many blogs anymore though sometimes I'll just like you know you know, I, I wonder what's happening. I have blogs in a long time. Are people still writing them? I don't know. I, I'm sure they are, but I know that's a stupid question. We're try- we at least tries to keep up with our blog a little bit. Yeah. Then I run out of words to say, and then I just post pictures. Well, that's the thing. Words have become by the wayside, which I think is part of the reason why we do this, even though these are talking words, not written words. Yeah. There is a lack of, I don't know, reading comprehension, can I call it, that that occurs Well, because you're kind of expecting everything to be in three sentences or less. I guess not like that's like a rule on some social media. <laughs> One thing I've like, I forget about Twitter, honestly, and I'm like, mm-hmm. are there fashion people tweeting? Probably. I probably, but like, not just like the big houses, but like, oh. it's not as conducive to Twitter, I guess, though you can add photos. But yeah, I, I remember there was a brief time during blogging where people would be like, I joined Twitter. And yeah. Like, I can't imagine. Like, tweeting. it doesn't, yeah. I guess because this kind of thing is more of a visual medium, as mm-hmm. I say, not on a visual medium. Though I have kept up with Pinterest. I still yeah. Pinterest a lot. Yeah. But that's also because it's kind of, you know, it's easy. It's easy for the yeah. eyes. You just yep. kind of look at it yeah i feel like the only blog that i really have looked at recently is sf girl by bay is she still yeah she's still she's so cool (laughs) i want to be friends with her (laughs) she's so cool not in a creepy way but um yeah because i i feel like you still you're still friendly with some of the people that you met in your blog yeah i mean i think that all of us follow each other on yeah. instagram so. i think it's just so cool it's like you all grew up together we did on the internet oh. we grew up on the internet together so i guess my last question to wrap this up are what are your hopes for the future like the future of the business probably not the future of the world because i'm sure we all hope many good things, things for the future the of the world but the future for the business and do you foresee any house lines coming back and house line is what you call it when like Ren had leather goods and that was Ren's house line. Yeah. And you don't have to answer the, I mean, answer it, but like, you don't have to answer. The, I'm feeling like the house line is probably still a thing on the very much the back burner. Mm -hmm. I think we have more pressing items. I think that one thing Elise and I are both very 
aware of is we actually need more space. So this is something that's on our mind that Mm -hmm. getting space in the next one to three, four years Mm -hmm. is something that we are looking for a new space. Mm -hmm. We've always just wanted a beautiful, quaint, old-fashioned mini department store. Not like department, department store, but like... Think old England. Ye old England. (laughs) Or France. Or Italy. And then I start Googling real estate in Europe. And then Julie comes (laughs) in and says, I spent all night looking at apartments in Paris. And I say, "Uh, why did you do that? (laughs) We're just going to keep on keeping on over here at Ren. (laughs) On that note. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. If you have any episode ideas, please email us at info at ren.us. And please don't forget to... Can you like this? Like and subscribe? Is that a YouTube thing? Or subscribe, leave a review. Can you like it? I don't know if you can like it. You should be able to like it. That would be nice. Can you heart it? Can you like it? Yeah. Thumbs up. Give it a thumbs up. Put it on your RSS feed. This is on an RSS feed. It's confusing. Well, we're losing it. So have a wonderful day. And uh, yeah. Bye. Bye.